yeah, we're not, we're not really touching it right now. We are, you know, kind of moving forward on the legal front because we feel that the original builders are responsible for, for the, the shape our house is in basically less than three years after it was delivered, but we're not doing um, active work on it right now. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 151 with Chris Murphy. It's every homeowner's nightmare to discover a small patch of mold and then learn that their floor, subfloor, and insulation have all become a soft, rotten waste. But that's exactly what happened to my guest today, Chris Murphy. Chris and his wife, Bree, had to move out of their tiny house unexpectedly when it was discovered that there was a terrible moisture issue in both the floor and walls. In this interview, Chris tells his story so we can all learn from the critical mistakes that were made in Chris and Bree's tiny home. Did you know that I personally send a tiny house newsletter every week on Tuesdays? It's called Tiny Tuesdays, and it's a weekly email with tiny house news, interviews, photos, and resources. It's free to subscribe, and I even share sneak peeks of things that are coming up, ask for feedback about upcoming podcast guests, and more. It's really the best place to keep a pulse on what I'm doing in the tiny house space and also stay informed about what's going on in the tiny house movement. To sign up, go to thetinyhouse.net slash newsletter. I'll never send you spam, and if you don't want to receive emails, it's easy to unsubscribe. I hope you enjoy next week's Tiny Tuesdays newsletter. Go to thetinyhouse.net slash newsletter to subscribe. All right, I am here with Chris Murphy. Chris lives in Burlington, Vermont with his wife, Brianna, and their oversized Chihuahua mix, Milo. After graduating college and living in New York City for a couple of years, Chris and Bree built a tiny house and moved to Burlington, where they have resided for the past three years. He currently works remotely for a digital therapeutic startup as a product manager. Even though he's not a huge fan of the Vermont winters, Chris loves Burlington and enjoys hiking and camping in the Green Mountains and always finds time to watch his typically very bad New York sports teams. Chris Murphy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And and this is one of the few shows where I I met your tiny house before I met you because it's literally two blocks from my house. So I've I've been looking at it and wondering <laughs> whose tiny house is that and how do they manage to find a parking spot in Burlington? Yeah, really, it's a, quite the case of misconnection. Uh, yeah, it's really, really unfortunate that it's taken us this long. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I do want to ask you, you know, I think later in the interview, I'd love to talk about finding a parking spot mm-hmm. in a city like Burlington where tiny houses aren't necessarily legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to kind of get into like the main topic first, which is um, kind of what what has happened with your tiny house. Um, and I was just hoping we could kind of start start at the at the at the start of when the problems arose. So how, how long were you living in your tiny house? Just like happily unaware of, of anything going wrong. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the, the, the major issue we've worked through recently, you know, that's the reason I'm on this, this episode. Um, you know, that started back in the late summer, early fall. Okay. We noticed a kind of fungus growing at the corner of our, our floor and wall by our kitchen. And, 
you know, we, we tried to, you know, kind of get rid of it, kind of came back and we were like, well, I think we need to have this addressed. And, and, um, you know, at this point we've been living in for about for almost three years. And once we, you know, dug deeper, we discovered a much, uh, much worse problem with the, the mold and rot in our subfloors. So yeah, it'd been almost three years at that point when this all kind of started for us. Okay. So you, so you just noticed this fungus growing. And so what did you, what did you do? Yeah. So, I mean, the first time we saw, we, we tried to, you know, we, we did the kind of DIY solution. So we kind of cut it off the ground. We applied some you know, mold killing disinfectant solution that we found when we did some research, um, you know, thought maybe that was it, but within a couple of weeks it was back. So at that point we then called a mold remediation service, you know, around, uh, you know, nearby, I think from New Hampshire. And, okay. and that's when they came and took a look at it. Okay. So, so what did they do when they, when they get there? Yeah. So he took a look at it and, and, you know, he, he recognized that we probably had to tear, like remove the kitchen cabinets tear up some floorboards and really get at the source of it, spray it down, clean, clean it, disinfect into the, the subfloor and then put everything back together basically. Okay. So, and that, and so that's what you did. So you removed the kitchen cabinets. Yeah, this was in early November. So we, we had to actually also get a contractor, kind of a, a normal kitchen remodeling contractor to do the, the first and third day, which would have been removing the cabinets. And then after the mold remediation on the second day, put the cabinets back in place and, ref, you know, put a, few new floorboards back in after okay. it's been ripped up. So now your bio says that you live in Burlington, but, but are you, st- you're not currently living in Burlington because you're not currently living in your tiny house. <laughs> right. I am calling in from New York because when that happened and that plan, you know, started on the, on the third day or the second day, actually when the, the mold remediation spe- specialist took a look at it, he, he removed a lot more floorboards than he thought. And the subfloor was a little softer than he expected. And he poked around, but kind of, you know, you know, he didn't want to go any further because he thought he got the mold and right. That's what we were paying him for. So the next day, the contractor came in to put back uh, the flooring and he started poking around and poked right through and he started ripping it up and he called me and I came over from, I was working in a co-working space in Burlington. I, I came, came by and he was like, I'm not going to touch this anymore because this is bigger than you're paying me. And I don't want to charge you for me just to rip apart your subfloor. Yikes. And that's when it all started. And basically fast forward three days and my wife and I had ripped up the majority of our subfloor, packed up our car and head down to New York. Cause you know, in the middle of pandemic, we had nowhere else to stay, but going home and staying with family. Oh my gosh. What a nightmare. So the entire subfloor, which I'm guessing was like Advantech kind of subflooring. It was like particle board. Particle board. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Well, Advantech kind of has a particle board ish deal. It's, it's not really that important to the, mm-hmm. my line of questioning, but it was, it was totally soaked. Like you could basically like, you know, we had, we had found a subfloor and then it was, it was like rock wool. And under that was like the, the metal pan, right. That you kind of line the trailer with yep. in between the studs. There was, there was standing water. There was, we were pulling out rock wool that was soaked. Ooh. I mean, this was also getting cold. So there was also frost and stuff, but that's when we saw the rot and it was just lining the sides of the floors into the middle. Wow. Um, so we were pulling out wet rock wool. We were punching through, you know, really soft particle board it was it was quite interesting i really understood the anatomy of stuff yeah yeah so standing water down there so to you know if you didn't know you know you would think well hey did you have like a leak like what what causes this water to build up down there 
Right. And I mean, th- this, that was the biggest concern for me. I'm always like so worried about these kinds of problems that are mm-hmm. like, you know, behind the walls, behind the floors. Right. So we realized that it was just a bunch of, it was like a ton of condensation basically. Mm. Um, you know, we had not had a big leak or flooding incident that was re- that, that had, that would cause this, the scope of this problem. So we, we understood, we realized that it was just moisture getting underneath the subfloor and condensing, you know, at the, at that, you know, you know, metal layer where it gets super cold. Right. And so, you know, I'm not a pro building scientist, but, but for those listening, you know, the best analogy or the best thing to think about is your, your ice cold can of soda or beer in the hot summer. As soon as you take it out of the fridge, all this condensation forms on it because warm air can hold a lot more moisture than cold air. And so when that hot air, warm air hits the cold can, the air cools down, but now it can no longer hold all that moisture. So it has to, that moisture becomes, it goes from a vapor to a liquid. And so that's what was happening inside of your floor. Yep. And a whole lot of it. Yeah. So we've, we've definitely gotten schooled up on, you know, problems with moisture inside walls or flooring. So did your tiny house, what, what how did you heat your tiny house? Yeah. So we have a, a mini split. Okay. So when we have a climate right that, that does AC in the summer and mm-hmm. uh, you know, heat in the, in the winter. Okay. And was there any kind of, of like ventilation system in the house? Yeah. So we did have an air exchanger that was running. So there was some, some pretty good, you know, airflow. Yeah. And did you like, did you monitor your, the humidity in the house at all when you lived there? Or was it not kind of really something you thought about? Not, not something we thought about a ton. I mean, I, I guess we thought about it to a certain extent, but not to the point where we thought about how humidity affects like things like moisture getting into your subfloor. Right. Right. So I know that since that original contractor and mold remediation service came in, you, you actually did talk with some building science experts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what more did you learn? Yeah. So, so we um, actually, you know, talked to two building science experts, guys by the name of Jim Bradley and Chris West up in Vermont. They, they run a company called Authenticated Diagnostics, and they're just total nerds about building science that have been super helpful. So we brought them in to take a look at it. We went back up to Vermont for a weekend to, to see them. And, you know, they basically picked apart the problem and, and explained to us, you know, what, what was so wrong about how the subfloor was built um, in terms of, you know, not really having a vapor barrier and not providing the right kind of, you know, design around a very, you know, a, a metal foundation, right. Which is going to, you know, uh, which is going to conduct that, that heat so much quicker yeah. and you're going to lose. And, and that's where you're, you're going to get that barrier where the, the, the moisture is condensing that, that much quicker. Yeah. So question about your, your subfloor anatomy, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were there like wooden joists underneath the subfloor or was the subfloor directly on top of metal trailer cross beams? So, so there, I guess to start from the, the metal cross beams, there was like kind of a metal pan kind uh-huh. of, I don't know if it's like sheathing or flashing, whatever you call it. Yep. And then on that, there were two by four joists forming kind of the frame of the subfloor. And okay. then in between those two by fours, there was rock wool. And Got then it. on top of that, there was the particle board uh, subfloor. Got it. Okay. And so what you learned from the building science experts is that, you know, you would have needed to have a vapor barrier at least mm-hmm. there. Did they, you know, 
did they talk at all about like the thickness of the subfloor or anything like that? Yeah, they really lamented the fact that they that our original builders used to use two by fours because I mean it, it, they knew we were going up to Vermont and with the Vermont climate, I think it's climate zone six or whatever it's called, and mm-hmm. you know that two by sixes are are way better in terms of providing the R value, really accumulating that insulation. So right. the the thickness was a big problem, and then the second problem that we found was that on the um, kind of bolt plates on the side of a lot of tiny house trailers, you kind of have that kind of those metal wings that come out. And that's where you bolt the, the walls down to. And yep. on, on, you know, those like maybe like eight inches of that kind of came into the house and the particle board was applied directly to that. Ah. No insulation in between that at all. So that's, is that the spot that created most of the moisture you think? That, that, there was definitely a lot of problems there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so that was one of the biggest, you know, yeah, I've mistakes. heard, I've heard that referred to as like a thermal short circuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thermal bridging is we, we've heard that word a lot recently yeah. and we've come to get to, you know, get to know it very well. Yeah. Yeah. So was, is the damage limited to just, just the floors or, you know, did, did you also have some issues in the walls? Yeah. So basically the problem is that our, the way that, you know, a lot of these foundations are built is that the, 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 the subfloor runs the entire width of the trailer and then the walls are built on top of it. Right. But the, since particle board and the, the kind of fairly cheap quality particle board that our subfloor is unfortunately made of soaked up a lot of that water and underneath the walls, the particle board is rotting and soft. So that right there is a problem because the walls are built on top of them. How are you going to replace that? And then right. even a couple of feet up into the walls, our, you know, Jim and Chris were able to basically just stick a knife right into the material in the wood, basically saying, hey, this is really bad. They did open up other pieces when they were doing further diagnostic reporting uh-huh. up higher in this uh in the walls and the ceiling there wasn't the same problem but they kind of said hey there's there's only a, there's these these are only two by fours the walls um and you're using op- they used open cell foaments um foam insulation so it's only a matter of time right in vermont for that so did they say anything about like open cell foam and you know whether because my understanding always is that open cell foam is designed for interior walls of a house to provide insulation, but that when used in an exterior wall, open cell foam can absorb moisture. Yeah. So I, I haven't heard the part about absorbing moisture, but I, but they did explain that, you know, we, we, you know, our original builders clearly should have gone with closed cell foam if they knew that one, they were only insulating four inches, right? right. Cause it was a two by four, not a two by six. And we are going to Vermont, you know, where, where you really need this extra, extra insulation. So, you know, when they were, they were building the house for us, average builders, like, yeah, we're using spray foam and our limited knowledge at that point, we're like, oh, you know, spray foam. Okay. Like, you know, we maybe we trust them on that, right. but you know, now we've learned there's a difference between the types of spray foam and the quality of insulation it'll provide you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point that when you, when you see someone, when you see your builder and they say, oh yeah, we're using spray foam. The next question is what kind of spray foam, you know, closed cell, right. open cell. Well, man, that's, that is heartbreaking to hear. So where, like, where do you stand now? What's the status? Yes. So, so we did go when we, when we met with Jim Jim and Chris, we had, you know, they kind of instructed us, you know, clear everything out. We hadn't, um, we have like a gooseneck, so it's 24 feet and then an eight foot gooseneck overhang. Uh-huh. So we hadn't cleared out the gooseneck yet. We had p- kind of put a bunch of stuff up there. So we, we cleared the house out. We, we, we rented a U-Haul and put everything in a storage room up in Burlington. And then came back down to New York because we knew we were kind of out of a house at this point. Yeah. So 
Yeah, we are staying in New York with with my in-laws for the time being. Hopefully not permanent, but yeah, that's kind of where we are now. We we don't really have a house. Yeah. So have you done or has have contractors done more demolition in the house or are you just kind of on pause? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, after Jim and Chris took a look, they did provide like a, like a, a full write up of the situation, both what went wrong, like why it went wrong, and then what would be done to remediate the solution, rebuild the subfloor and parts of the walls, you know, for it to last in Vermont. Yeah. And we, so we have that in hand. Obviously, that's not cheap. So, you know, we really don't have the, the upfront money to invest in that project right now. So, yeah, we're not, we're not really touching it right now. We are, you know, kind of moving forward on the legal front because we feel that the original builders are responsible for, for the, the shape our house is in basically less than three years after it was delivered, but we're not doing active work on it right now. Yeah. Now what, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, like at what point did you contact the builder? You know, what did you say and what did they say? Yeah. So the, that day when that initial like contractor mold remediation contractor plan in November went south, we, we messaged them. It's like, look, that we found this huge problem. You know, there's no reason this should happen three years, like less than three years after you delivered it. Right. And, and, you know, at that point, we already knew how, how poorly it was designed and built. Right. And they, you know, basically refuted it, you know, a few days later saying this is actually homeowner negligence, not contractor negligence, which was, you know, adding insult to injury pretty much <laughs> because I worried about the, the, you know, the shape of my home constantly and right, did what right. I could to keep it in good shape. Well, what did they say? Like what maintenance did they say that you didn't do? Yeah. So the, the, you know, they were kind of grasping at straws for a couple of things, but I mean, like they did say that, um, you know, we didn't re caulk or reapply silicone to the outside of our house, basically where the trailer meets the, the wall on the outside, okay. which I had done actually this past year. Um, and, and they, we had sent them, um, they basically, they, we had sent them a picture of the house and in the house, you could yeah. see a deck we built outside the house. And they said, Oh, via certain, you know, by certain regulations, that deck is actually, if it's built at the same level of the house, that's against code. Cause it'll make water come in. And then we said, well, actually we built the, if you're looking at the photo, the, the deck is like a foot and a half below the house. Right. So they were, you know, trying to build a case from that. And that, that wasn't actually the solution. Or it wasn't actually the problem. And then the, the, the issue with resiliconing the house, we, we told to Jim and Chris and when they visited and they said that there's no way that causes this amount of damage. Right. Right. So maybe, and there's no way that resiliconing yeah. the builders kind of saying water got in from the outside along yes. a crack where you should have applied more silicone, but yeah. So at that point, that's when we knew that we wanted, you know, we, we would need to enlist the help of a lawyer to, you know, to kind of move forward more formally with, with seeking, you know, some sort of solution yeah. and resolution from them. Wow. You know, you hate, you hate to have anything come, come to this. So are you, you know, if you are able to, you know, get some relief from the builder are you hoping to, to fix the house and, and, you know, get back into it? So, you know, actually we, we, we had reached out to them via the lawyer, via demand letter, and they'd heard back and, yeah. and the, the builder is not budging. So we're going to continue on that front. But with that being said, because the first response wasn't like, yes, we'll give you some money. I think at this point we're going to try and sell the house, obviously at a much lower cost with 
this report of how you would rebuild some of the problems in hand to whoever wants to buy it right to kind of recoup some of the cost and move towards our our future plans right right so make make this kind of a project for the next person somebody yeah. who's who's handy and inclined to maybe rip apart a good bit of house yeah i mean it's it's built on a great trailer i mean they they you know it was built on a new custom trailer 3 years ago triple axle yeah yeah so it's a lot of it's in great shape and is a good starting point for like you said someone who's up for the the project yeah can i ask what you paid for the house to be built yeah <clears throat> sure the the original quote was for around 65,000 uh-huh. um after we realized we wanted water tanks for the the early go before we were hooked up to a house uh-huh. for water and a couple other things that ended up coming out to 70,000 and that's usually okay. how projects go, right? Totally. I've never, I've never heard of a tiny house project that went under budget. <laughs> yeah. um, so do you have an estimate of what the repairs would cost, you know, for a professional to do? Yeah. So I, um, I don't have it in front of me, but that, <laughs> that, that diagnostic report was somewhere in the ballpark of around $40,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. That's so. Yeah. Because I'm imagining, I mean, disconnecting walls and, you know. Yeah. Basically lifting the walls up, redoing that foundation, setting the walls back in place, you know, and then redoing the insulation. Right. And also not knowing if any of the wall framing is damaged. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well. Hmm. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Decisions, my signature guide, and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is, a, is a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Um, deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans different types of trailers, and more. Uh, then in, the, in part two, we get into the system. So heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed, versus advanced framing, versus metal framing. Uh, we talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, it's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. I'm curious, do, do you, did this experience, this is actually a question coming in from the chat, which I think is an awesome question. You know, did this episode turn you away from tiny living? Or do you feel like you know, you had a plan, maybe it was like a five-year plan to live tiny and then you were going to move on anyway. But I don't think it turned me off. I mean, there are so many things that I appreciate now that I've lived in a tiny house. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
I mean, full disclosure, our plan is to, we're actually, we just bought a Ram Pro Master Cargo Van and are converting it. Sweet. <laughs> to, to do van camper life. And then also looking to either build or buy a, a very small house as a permanent place yes. in Vermont. So kind of weighing the permanency of the house with a, being on the road for a time throughout the year. So, but, but now we realize we do like living minimalist. And yeah. I think we've just learned a lot more about the kinds of pitfalls that exist when you're building on a, a you know, metal trailer. But it definitely didn't turn me off. Yeah, so you're you're actually going tinier. <laughs> you're going from a tiny house to a van. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Nice. I'm curious, do you... Well, I think you've already answered the question. I wrote down this question, you know, do you think it was an honest mistake on the part of the builder? Like they just didn't know? Or do you think they... Uh, yeah, I guess... You feel free to not answer this if you don't want to, yeah. to like speculate on their intent. Right. Um, I, I don't think it was malicious. No, I don't think they, they meant, I, I, I think they may have cut some corners, mm-hmm. you know, the open versus closed spray foam. I'm sure they knew both existed and I'm sure yeah. they knew open, uh, close open cell was cheaper, but Much. didn't work as well. Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, you know, I, based on their response, because some of their defense from our original demand letter was around like, well, you can't, you know, our, our lawyer listed a couple laws that they enforce in litigation. And they said, oh, well, those don't apply because it's not a home in Connecticut where the, the builder is from. Ah. So they knew the loopholes to get out of any problems, right? So it kind of makes you think like they knew what would happen if they messed up and what, what you know, they, right. they knew how to navigate that, which is, you know, <laughs> makes me question. But I, I don't think overall they, they wanted to put us through this. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder from the legal perspective, does like, I don't know what is common for new home construction in terms of warranty, but I would imagine it's like a year or two. Yeah. Like what is the like recourse that you think that your lawyer is kind of saying like, Hey, we can potentially get recourse because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't want to go into all the details because sure. that's it's important. You get to, to say have. it's an ongoing investigation. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, and it yeah. is. Um, yeah. you know, and I think you know the, the lawyers we have contracted or, or on retainer haven't worked on a, a project like this before, right? In yeah. a case like this, so yeah. it, it, they they recognize it as this gray area, right, between yeah. a, a vehicle and a house, and it makes it it makes it hard. And and yes, yeah, so it is really an ongoing investigation around what what it is we're going to be litigating. Right. Right. Was your build like, did they go with, did they build to any certification like NOAA or RVIA or anything? Not RVIA. RVIA came up and they, they said, you know, we could do that, but it, 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 it helps some people, but limits your options otherwise. Mm-hmm. And looking back, that was a little fishy. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are more benefits than, 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 than pros, uh, than, than cons of doing that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm pretty sure part of the ANSI code is. Which so so ANSI is like the standards body, and RVIA is like a certification that is based off of that ANSI code. Pretty sure they require a vapor barrier um, mm-hmm. of some kind. I'm not I'm yeah. not sure, and that's actually <laughs> I've been meaning to get somebody on the show who really can nail down these you know the differences <laughs> here. I'm curious what you know. How are you? Because like. A van is just a metal, a metal house. There's metal all around. So how right. are you 
planning to kit out the van knowing now what mm-hmm. went wrong in your tiny house? Well, you know, one thing we learned from from talking to Jim and Chris was, um, you know, rigid foam board can act as a good vapor barrier uh-huh. if 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 you kind of you know combine that with a soft insulation that typically isn't a vapor barrier. Mm-hmm. There are also like membranes you can put down, and there are more advanced membranes. I don't know them off the top of my head that like actually really don't aren't a complete barrier, but kind of control mm-hmm. the right moisture coming in and letting out because you also don't want to prevent moisture that has made it down to say the hull of a cargo van or the trailer of a tiny house and prevent it from getting back up through right because then it just sits there and and, and turns into sitting water so we we are thinking about it a lot more um Mm -hmm. and it's at the forefront of our mind with this new build yeah well i'm sure and are you doing this build yourself we are yeah we just bought the the, the used van this weekend and we're just starting to work through the steps wow wow that's exciting (laughs) are you are you hoping to hit the road this summer Yeah. My wife typically has higher expectations for the timeline. So she, her birthday is in late March and she wants to be out by then, which is really aggressive. Um, and I actually think we could do it. I think our biggest blocker is like so many people are doing it right now that like a lot of things are on back order, like yeah. extra windows. You want to do custom windows. Yep. We actually were looking into like Havelock wool, like sheep wool mm-hmm. um, for insulation. And that's on back order. So we're, wow. we're, re- we're regrouping there. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rockwell is a great insulation um, and it will probably offer a similar R value to wool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one, I think the one thing that we've learned is that sheep's wool is a bit more naturally hydrophobic, so it retains yeah. and expels water better. Okay. So, but you know, we're, we're looking at all options. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that have I, is there anything that I like haven't asked you about your tiny house or your build that, that you were kind of wanting to talk about? I guess let's like, like what I learned about, you know, the, the tiny house, you know, community now and not, not the community of people who live in the house houses, but you know, I listened to your, your episode with Frank Alito and kind of how the, it was started DIY movement and you are a big part of that early movement. And now there are a lot of builders getting on board and we didn't know anything about building at the time, but I wish there were a few things that I was less, trusting about yeah and really question so obviously like the the insulation and the problem of moisture especially in a, a, a vermont climate and like really grilling them on that um, yeah. would have been really helpful and then the other thing is we you know they installed our hot water heater it's a tankless heater propane but they installed it in the back shed of our house detached and not sleeted as much Ooh. so that I we lost water for an entire winter because um, a pipe broke in that, and it was like a custom replacement. And, um, oh no! Because it at one point I think the the fuse to it broke or something, and, and it or went up below fifty negative fifteen in Vermont, which is yep. common. Yeah. And and it froze, and a part broke. Um. So we had to repair that, and and so I was constantly worrying about it every time, and, and doing all these like DIY fixes to to keep it from freezing up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know all about that. Those hot water heaters. Yeah. What uh, is there anything that you? This is another great question from from the chat. What what will you put in your van that you that you liked from your tiny house? Oh man. Um, let's see. Um, I don't like. I actually don't know if there's any like specific items that will transfer over. Uh-huh. I think it's more like the the, the learnings we'll take from it. 
I, I don't think we'll end up reusing a lot of materials. But if I had to think about like just one thing that like we learned that we want to take to it is to to really like question every single design design yeah. decision like we were living there. Like we had this this table built for our tiny house and it was supposed to fold all the way down, then fold halfway up and then fold all the way out. And the way our original builders built it, it felt like it was going to fall off it was if it was all the way down because it was too heavy for the hinges and all the way out, the mechanism for keeping it all the way out like wasn't that great. And it like stayed half folded out the entire time because that's what made more sense. Yeah. Like, we never had a use case for folding all the way down. So we, I think we just want to think a bit more about what our everyday is gonna, life is going to be like and design even more intentionally around it. Nice. Nice. And I, I don't usually do this during an episode. I save it for afterwards. But, um, you know, for anyone listening who does want to get like a full dump of info on ventilation and insulation, uh, check out episode 128 with Brad Cook. Um, and the short link for that is thetinyhouse.net slash 128, 128. Um, and, you know, Brad, I don't know if you ended up consulting with him, but he is you know, a building science pro, I would say, mm-hmm. who deals with ventilation and insulation issues. And, yeah. um, you know, from that interview, I really took away that, you know, not every, um, not every even foam board, like within the category of foam board insulation, there are so many different types and varieties. And even within the same type, like EPS foam, there are different brands have, you know, are better than others. So it's just, you know, can be a, a bit of a labyrinth yeah do you have any uh favorite van you know van life youtube personalities or vans that you're kind of inspired by that you're you're modeling after yeah i there's a couple i mean like my wife definitely has like memorized them and i have not yet but far out ride um the website they've they've done a great job there i think there was like two engineers this couple who quit mm-hmm. their jobs and and converted their sprinter van and they have great like walkthroughs especially on like things like electrical uh-huh. diagramming because that's stuff you don't want to mess with if you aren't sure so th- that's been super helpful nice yeah but i think that's one thing we i regret not doing earlier with tiny houses that are really engaging in the community and i think that's why i've enjoyed coming on the show i think the tiny house community on, on social media is like super helpful and inviting and i think i wish i engaged earlier to ask questions like oh like my builder suggested they're doing this like is this really the right thing to do right yeah i wish i i leveraged that a bit more yeah. and participated yeah it's it's interesting because you know as you as you talked about earlier how the the tiny house movement starts as kind of a diy almost counterculture movement that avoids these building codes and rules um and when you're building the house for yourself, that's well and good. But then, you know, when you're starting to pay people, but they're not being held to a standard, that's, you know, that's where people can really get, you know, not what they expected. It, that's like something I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of months. Like mm-hmm. I remember when we started looking into tiny houses and, and thinking about like a lot of these rules, like I hear 400 square feet come up a lot and like, I was like, wow, these building codes are really restrictive. And I mean, I think some of them are unreasonable, right. but I think I'm realizing now that some of them are in place to protect the, the you know, the occupant of a house as right. much as the builder or the municipality that you're living in. Right. And because like so many things that happen to our house yeah. probably would not happen if there was a more, 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 you know, stringent code that our builders were following. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can always, you know, you can always 
look back hindsight being 2020 and saying if they had only done this or that, it would have been (laughs) fine. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like to ask, you know, all of my guests is, um, you know, what are two or three resources that maybe that you've found now? Unfortunately, you didn't find them while you were doing your tiny house, but what are some resources that have been helpful for you now that you, you could share with listeners, you know, to help educate themselves about this issue? Yeah. Um, I will say, I mean, one, (laughs) this is gonna be a cop-out but this podcast i think um i don't think i really engaged with that like like the community in that way listening Mm -hmm. to podcasts and following peace people on social media and like that um i think there are a couple of really big tiny house groups on facebook and i really only used it the tiny house hosting group to find like and this is maybe selfishly just to find somewhere to park yeah and didn't really engage in the rest of the discussions happening. And looking back, that's something I would recommend people do and feel com- like, you know, get comfortable doing because that's going to be a really good resource for you. Yeah. Nice. And so actually that's, thank you for that reminder and that segue um, about finding parking because, you know, yeah. Burlington, Vermont is where I live as well. And um, you know, from what I've been able to discern Tiny houses are not legal here, but there are several tiny houses parked throughout the city that have not had, you know, nobody has forced them to leave. So I guess I know what the town's perspective is on them, but what was it like finding a host in a city where like you, you kind of knew that it was maybe not legal to live here? Oh man. Short answer is stressful. Yeah. Um, it was tough. I mean, we had started our build. This was in, in summer of 2017. Mm-hmm. We had decided like Burlington is where you want to be. Uh, my wife had been admitted to a graduate program at UVM. So we knew we were coming up here. We had, we had, and then, so we had visited for a weekend in October, just basically like driving around. We looked at like basically anything like campgrounds, mobile parks. Like we tried posting flyers. Um, and you know, that the tiny house hosting group was great. And we, we ended up living in a campground the first two months we were here because we weren't sure. So we wanted to kind of hedge our bets and reserve a spot for a couple, a couple months. And we ended up having to build in water tanks because we wouldn't have a winterized hookup at that campground because all those spots were taken. And, and what actually got us our spot was I joined a Facebook group for just local Burlington town news or, mm-hmm. or updates and posted there. And our, a neighbor of our current landlord saw it and, and showed it to our landlord because she had previously hosted a tiny house. So it wasn't nice. even the like tiny house specific groups. So that would like, maybe be advice. If you know where you want to live, like the tiny house hosting is great, but it's, it's typically that hasn't reached a critical mass where you're always going to find someone in the town you want to live in or the city you want to mm-hmm. live in, like try to engage with the local forums of that community to, to find someone. Nice. And so did you, you know, did you have a conversation with your landlord at all? Like, you know, if that, how quickly you might need to be out if the like town came knocking? Yeah, I think she had written up kind of a, a small contract. You know, I think we both knew that it was going to be a good fit. She's, she's been great, but obviously I, I don't, I, you know, I respect her need to do that. And so it was yeah. kind of like, a th- I think it was a 30 day kind of requirement for us to move out if if we yeah. chose to move that way or if the town had said something. Yeah. And I think it may be also just to, you know, that we are going to pay fines, which makes sense <laughs> if yeah. that were the case. Yeah. Well, Chris Murphy, this has been super, super helpful. I, I know that people are going to get a ton from this episode and, um, you know, 
I thank you so much for just being willing to come and kind of share because it's, you know, it's painful. It sucks. And I feel like, you know, you could be preventing tens or hundreds of more situations like the one that you're going through by telling people about it. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity. Like you said, it does suck, but I think being on this was, you know, really helpful for me to, to know that maybe, you know, it was a loss for me, but it'll help someone avoid or many other people avoid similar problems. So if, if that's the case, then, you know, that, that that's a silver lining. Thank you so, so much to Chris Murphy for being a guest on the podcast today. You can find the show notes, including lots of photos of the damage in Chris's tiny house. And believe me, it kind of blew me away when I saw the photos at thetinyhouse.net slash 151. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 151 to see photos of the subfloor and studs and insulation and, and kind of what can go wrong when you have a moisture buildup in your tiny house. Also, don't forget to check out my signature guide, Tiny House Decisions, at thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. Well, that's all for this week. I am your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.